Chicago where we were and I was working on my PhD and she qualified, she got this grant to go to Columbia University in the summer to this uh, really neat uh, thing at their teacher's college. So Columbia is one of those few pre-revolutionary war universities around, really prestigious place. She ended up getting accepted, I'm going to brag on her, to do a master's degree there too. One of the things, one of the few things I regret, it was, I think it was almost $70,000 for a year um, to do this master's degree at an amazing school. But um, we just couldn't swing that in moving to Manhattan. So we didn't do that. But we did get to go for several weeks. And I just got to hang out and do some research and play and go to Yankee games and ride the subway and go to museums and things. And it was rough, but, uh, but I did it. And uh, when we first got there, um, we mainly, we were on a budget and still, I'm sure, far exceeded that budget. Uh, so we stayed in... Um, uh, we stayed at, uh, I think it was at, at Union Seminary for a short amount of time, and then we ended up staying at a really cheap kind of extended stay hotel, but our anniversary was in the midst of that. So we spent a few days uh, at the Hilton, I think the Garden Inn or something when we when we first got there. And I didn't know, but of course I should have, that there's like 18 of those in Manhattan because it's a really big crowded place. So we just told the cab driver to take us to one, um, and it was the wrong one. And we get there, and I'm thinking, I don't really know. We can't get in. There's all this stuff going on. And so I get out of the, of the cab, the taxi, to go in and find out if this is our hotel or what we've done wrong. And it turns out they're having the, the 2007 NBA draft in the hotel lobby, or in the hotel. So that's not our hotel. Um, that as I go in, uh, you might know some of these names. So Kevin Durant and Greg Oden come walking out of the lobby, these massive Goliath-like men. I just remember thinking, I mean, they're huge. These guys are huge. I must be in the wrong place. I knew who they were right away. Kevin Durant's one, amazing basketball player, and Greg Oden's body just couldn't handle it, so he's not playing anymore. Um, but maybe you've experienced something like this, where you encounter somebody who's kind of larger than life, big personality, uh, maybe a sports star, maybe an entertainer, who, whoever that might be for you. Later that week, we were walking around, uh, walking to Central Park, and we, we, we turned a corner, and uh, I, I was, I, I kind of cheered for the Bulls, um, and uh, we were living in Chicago, and Jehoiakim Noah, if you know who that is, a guy, turns a corner, really, like, freakishly tall guy, uh, and Lauren didn't have any idea, but I remember I, we turned a corner, I just, I'm looking up, but the, what I remember especially was that he had two or three just, like, you know, normal guys with him. So here's this like seven foot three lanky you know, millionaire now, turns a corner and just, you know, everyday guys are with him. I don't remember what they look like. I don't even remember how many there were. But I just remember the disparity between his height and his size and these normal guys. Right? Maybe, maybe you've experienced that before. Maybe you haven't. But, but in this moment, these guys, however many there are, they'll always be remembered in my mind as the guys with Jehoiakim Noah. Right? I don't know who they are. And if somehow we would have stopped and introduced each other, I wouldn't remember who they are. I would remember that I saw this huge basketball player and that he had these two or three, you know, entourage sort of guys with him. So in these moments, their identity it was fixed in my mind as with Joachim Noah, right? As with this superstar. That's who they were. I think the same is true uh, for Jesus, it seems, for John. 
In chapters 3 and 4, we begin to move into uh, more of his central message for writing these letters. And he talks a lot about our identity being wrapped up with Jesus. We become those normal guys and gals standing next to Jesus that probably nobody remembers. They remember Jesus. That's where I'm going with this. Our identity, we become like the plus one. We become the, the entourage that's hanging out with him. People remember we're there, but they remember Jesus. And that's kind of what John wants to get at, is that, is that our identity is meant to be wrapped up with him. In that long passage, a word that's, a phrase that happened repeatedly was abiding in him. That that's what it's all about. It's about abiding in him for John. And so some of the things, some of the characteristics that we inherit or that we possess or are given because of this are terms like, and then just to move through some of these verses, uh, righteous, that we become righteous because we're with him. Um, we're God's children because we're with him. We're grafted in, adopted in. We become like him because we're with him. We are able to see him, which is something important, because we're with him. And he even says something that he said already. Sinless because we're with him and born of God because we're with him, because we're with Jesus. Uh, those last two, but especially sinless, takes me back to the first couple weeks that was some difficult, maybe material for some of us, uh, especially in the tradition we're in, where we see that if we're with Jesus, for John, then we are truly with him. Our identity becomes those or, or, or the person who is with Jesus. We become caught up in the event that is him. We still have uh, personal identity, you know, distinctives that make us who we are, but those things become entangled with, with Jesus. So that when people see Jesus, by proximity and by relationship, they see us as related, as connected to him. He's the memorable one. And we get sort of brought along in that. Does that make sense? We become those people with him. So John's polarities that he's given us and he gives us in these passages, these strong distinctives, uh, like light and dark, um, he, Jesus, is the real emphasis here, and it helps us make sense out of these. Same things like perfection and sin. Uh, remember earlier on, he says, if we claim perfection, then we're liars. But if we confess and repent, uh, then, then we become wrapped up in him, and he perfects us and cleanses us. Really stark, uh, you know, controversial type, uh, black and white imagery. If we confess, we're made perfect. But if we claim perfection, we're anything but. In other words, what he's trying to get at is if we make things about us, we're going to fail. And we're going to let people down. Uh, we, we won't achieve what we are hoping to achieve. But if we, if we make it about him and about abiding in him, if our identity becomes abiding in him, then we will be with him. And then the things that are said of him become, like by proxy, said of us as well. Because we're with him. This, this, uh, this takes us to what I think is a pretty crucial concept for, for John. One that we often don't like to talk about anymore today, but it's really important. And that's the concept of sin that he gets at in, in the middle of the, of the passage. What exactly is sin for, for John? 
Well, a common, a common definition or description of sin is something like this. A, a voluntary transgression of a known law of God. Right? You've probably heard that before. So, so there's two key points there. Voluntary meaning you, there's will or there's choice. Uh, and a known law of God means that you know that like it's inappropriate to, you know, to go murder your neighbor. And you do it anyways. Well, you knew that. And you chose it. So you've sinned. Okay? Now, what this doesn't include, and this is something that, that, you know, people have kind of debated and wrestled with over the ages, are things like accidents. What if you accidentally, um, you know, run into somebody and it, it wasn't, you weren't being negligent, you weren't, you weren't drunk behind the wheel, you were obeying all the traffic laws, somebody stumbled next to a car, something crazy or bad accident, but you've taken somebody's life or you just hurt somebody. It was an accident. You did not mean to do it. Nothing about it except that you did mean to drive, right? Or something like um, an omission. You, you omit something. You fail to do something. Sometimes that can be a sin as well, possibly. It certainly can cause, cause uh, tension or struggle at the very least. Uh, another one would be ignorance. So accidents, omissions, and ignorance are three kind of what do you do with those categories in terms of sin. So examples would be something like, uh, we, we're leaving the sanctuary and I'm rushing out there because I need to greet you as you're leaving and I trip one of you on the way. You might hurt yourself. You might break a, break a knee or a leg. I hope not. A hip. I hear, I see that. Um, I've done it. I didn't mean to. I have no malicious intent. I don't think I'm going to be able to be sued in a court of law, but I did hurt you. It was an accident. Have I sinned by doing so? Uh, another one would be, again, um, maybe just, there's so many of you, I'm giving something out. It's Halloween, right? I'm giving the candy out and I slip up and I give one kid way more candy than I give everybody else. Then they're all disappointed. You gave that kid four whole candy bars and then you gave me one little thing. I, I didn't mean to. There were so many. I made a mistake. I've let all of you down now and the kids are disappointed, right? Because word spread. This house is giving out all these big candy bars and then they come and I give out nothing or I give sticky notes or something. It, it, it's an, it, it's an, I didn't mean to, okay? It's an omission. Or, or finally, something like this. Um, Maybe I'm not aware of some of your backgrounds. So maybe a divorce or a death in the family or, or a, a troubled childhood or an addiction or something like that that I'm not privy to. And so uh, here's a common one. Mother's Day or Father's Day in a church. We, it's not a church holiday, but we celebrate them. And every Mother's Day, there's people crying all throughout the church because of uh, difficult moments in their past. Well, have I sinned? Have we sinned as a church by recognizing Mother's Day and giving out gifts? Well, No. But we also can hurt people in the process. We have to be sensitive to it. So, so those are the things, omissions and accidents um, and ignorance that can kind of uh, cause us to, 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 to maybe stumble. Are these sin? Are they not? Uh, Wesley, John Wesley, tend to like this description, this voluntary transgression of a known law of God. Uh, and it kind of works for us and it helps us to understand. So again, you're probably, at least for Wesley, you weren't sinning if you've done something that hurt somebody based on an omission or an accident or ignorance. But you should make it right. You, know, you don't have to necessarily sin. Like we tell our kids often, you, you hurt your brother or sister. You didn't do it on purpose. You're not in trouble. But you should still show that you care, right? You should make it right. Does that make sense? Okay, John, though, seems to, to, to kind of ratchet it up a bit 
which I think allows him to say what he says about perfection and sin. For John, he seems to be saying that, um, uh, that sin is something like intentional, like it's planned or it's systematic uh, or it's a routine violation of God's known laws. So, so it's more, it's something that you calculated or you are re- actively rebelling against God's laws. This, now, Let's see, how do we understand this? John, uh, Paul talks about this in Romans 8, famous passage where he talks about sin. If you know the Romans 8 passage, or maybe you can read it this week, he, he uses the imagery of chains or shackles. Um, and this, this helps us when we think of sin. He talks about how we are shackled to sin, which is why maybe some people, you might say this, or other traditions will say things like, I sin every moment of my life in word, thought, and deed. I can't help but do anything else. I'm a sinner. Well, that's because Paul teaches we're shackled to sin. We can't help it. So somebody cuts us off in traffic. We, you know, we, we uh, do something inappropriate. We say something inappropriate. Uh, somebody, uh, our neighbor kicks our dog. We kick their dog back or whatever. You know, we can't help it. We, we, we have to sin. But what Paul says is that in, in the Holy Spirit cleansing us and in salvation and being redeemed, that those shackles are unlocked or they're broken. Sin is still there. It's still super tempting. And we may give in to it. But we don't have to anymore. Okay? That might sound familiar to you. That's part of the holiness sanctification language that Wesley picks up on. And it's important. It's not that like suddenly it's gone. Sin is still very prevalent. And it will tempt us all the time. It's just that we don't have to do it. And then he goes on in Romans 8 to say that eventually that the life of, of discipleship would be to say... Uh, here's the chains that I had. I want to now be chained to Christ. I want to be chained to God. That's like the kind of completes the cycle. And that would be the kind of full picture of sanctification is that we are, our, our shackles, our, our chains are broken to sin. We now at least don't have to. We still will, but we don't have to. And over time, we will, we will go to God and say, I want to be shackled to you. In other words, I want to abide with you. I want to be the, the people around you. So that your righteousness becomes my righteousness. So that your goodness becomes my goodness. And in doing so, it starts to become possible that we can, we can do good and not evil. That we can be kind and forgiving and loving and not by nature, you know, rude and unforgiving and so forth. Does that make sense? So what he's saying here, um, this is I think what John has in mind. Otherwise, verses 4 through 10, if you look at those, otherwise these become, like, we're in trouble. What what I'm trying to get at is that uh, for John, sin becomes this active rebellion. It's not omission. It's not ignorance. It's not um, folly. It's, I'm actively rebelling against God. I'm actively doing this thing. I'm choosing to do so. Okay. Now, when that's the definition of sin, then it becomes a bit more. It makes a bit more sense to say, "Listen, you're if you know you're either a sinner or you're not. You're either with God or you're not. You're a liar or you're with God." So he, he uses this real stark imagery. So if you've if you've messed up or the things I've mentioned, omission or ignorance or or that kind of thing, folly, you're not like cast out into the darkness for John, because who you are is caught up with Jesus. Now, you can't be abiding with him and be like an, uh, an underground international arms dealer or a pimp or a, 
you know, some other, you know, very nasty sort of profession. You're a slumlord and you're taking advantage of your people. You're not abiding with Jesus if you do that. You're, you have, you pay lip service to God, but you very much live abiding with the devil. Does that make sense? But if you, on accident, you have a, a rental home and there was a problem in the home and you didn't know about it and their conditions weren't the greatest, but they never told you, you're not sinning actively against God. See the distinction? This is what John's trying to get at. So when he uses this perfection language and the sin language, he's trying to get at this active. If you're actively rebelling against God, you're a sinner. And you're with the devil, he says. However, if you're not doing that, if your shackles are broken and you're trying, then you become caught up in Jesus. And you become associated with him. And so, so you become those sort of unidentified persons hanging out with him that people see and they say, oh, those people are with Jesus. Okay? I think that's what he's getting at. It's impossible. Attaining the things that he's describing is impossible unless Jesus becomes the focus. If the focus is taken off of us, which is hard in our culture where we're taught everything's about me, but if it becomes about Jesus and abiding in Jesus, then we suddenly can actually become righteous and even sinless, he says. Not because you will never ever sin again, but because you no longer have to and you follow him and you're caught up in him. Okay? Uh, John concludes with some of the most powerful language in scripture. Uh, verse 17, it's a great... Um, basically that song, you know, they will know we are Christian by our love. We know that simple, ref simple refrain. Uh, verse 17, how does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? If we know love, we do this. If we are to show love. We are to be people of love, he says. And this is his commandment. That we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. If we are abiding in him, if we are caught up with him, then we see the needs around us, we see the people around us, we are connected with them, and we care for them, we share with them, we love them, we become caught up with him, and so we start acting like he does. I, I like to simplify this or summarize this church as saying that we are called to know, love, and serve God and others. It's kind of become my like tagline or my, my philosophy or my, my mission uh, over the years because I think it just really quickly summarizes what we are, what our mission is. We're called to know God and love God and serve God. And we're called to know and love and serve others as well. And they're, they're, they're interconnected necessarily. Our private devotions, our group studies, these hopefully corporate worship services hopefully help us know, love, and serve God. And then we as people who are being transformed, who are abiding in Him, we then now are able to know and love and serve people around us, both inside the church and outside the church as well. And this is to be our witness to the world, something he's talked about quite a bit already, our witness is that we're people with him. And so we should treat others like Jesus would treat them, which is radically loving them and serving them and caring for them because we love and know and serve God as well. Amen? We know love by this. Verse 16, that he laid down his life for us. 
we ought to lay down our lives for one another as well. That's what being abiding with God is all about that. It's, it's that we're with Him. We're with Him even in death and resurrection. And He's done this for us. And as Wesley would say, but even for me. Right? And, and if that's the case, then, then I also then live with others and for others in a way that I'm willing to sacrifice of myself for them as well. And in doing so, I'm sharing the gospel with people. I'm sharing God's love with them. All right, so three quick takeaways. In case you spent the whole time trying to remember who that famous person was you met one time. Uh, the first, it's okay, I make these jokes because I know it's true, it's fine. Takeaways, if we're with Jesus, then we're with him. That's what John is wanting to say. We become those kind of anonymous tag-alongs that history doesn't necessarily always remember these people, except they remember that they were the people with him. So like, I can't remember how many people or what they looked like were with this basketball star. I know he had people with him. That's what happens to us as well. If we're abiding in him, then we, our very identity becomes, yes, we still have personalities, but we become people that are with Jesus. And people know us for that. The second is that sin for John means active rebellion against God. So not just rebellion, but a, really stressing that intentionality to it. And this is why I think he's able to talk about perfection in the way that he does. He doesn't mean things like omission or folly or error or um, uh, accidents, which can be harmful and we definitely need to make right and seek reconciliation and help people. He also, I don't think, at least for John, this isn't all of Scripture, this is just these letters. But for John, he also doesn't seem to mean the one-off, you lost your temper with somebody and you said something you shouldn't say. Now, if that becomes a trend in who you are, then yeah, you're actively rebelling against God. And unfortunately, I can think of people that way who, who love God and they say they do, and they, but they're so angry with other people all the time that that's what people know. They, they know your anger, not, not your love of God. And it happens to all of us. But there's a fine line between, is this who you are? Is it an active rebellion? Or is it a, is it a mistake? Is it a, you slipped up and then you are on your knees seeking reconciliation? If that's what you do, for John, you can still be considered as abiding in him and even as sinless and righteous because your identity is wrapped up in him. Hopefully that makes sense. It's subtle. But it's important. And then third, uh, in chapter 3, which we've just read, John repeats what should be a familiar pattern for the gospel as a whole. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another. You cannot separate these two. Unfortunately, we spend lots of time and effort trying to, but we can't. To be a person of faith in Jesus, to be a part of the church as it's supposed to be, we are to love God and love others. So again, for me, what I say is we know, love, and serve God and others. Uh, and that kind of encapsulates all of this. Amen? I pray that as, as you all leave, as we all go out into the world, um, see, nobody had to shake their keys, done pretty much right on time, that you all are people who have identity and personality, that people know you for who you are, but I pray that they begin to know you as somebody who's with Jesus. And so your identity gets caught up in Him 
And as such, you become, you're righteous, you're holy, you're good, even sinless, because you're not actively rebelling against God. You're living in obedience and abiding in Him. Abiding in Him. That's what it's all about. Will you stand and receive the benediction? Yes. Amen. We go forth in the world to know, love, and serve God and others. Go in peace.